these are Portland anarchists. These are the, the most vegan people in all of Portland, essentially. And uh, well, the most fighting lot. they've done is over like a, a chore wheel uh, in their collective house yeah. or like who gets the sesame sticks when they're dumpster diving. Welcome to the Vituation Room Podcast Live, people. What is happening? How are you? I see you out there. Some of you are watching this live. Others of you are from the future and you're listening to this as a podcast. That's cool. It's fine with me. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for being there in the future, watching your future dishes. Um, hi, Connor. What's up, Rhea? What's up, uh... Ulysses, who's in the armpit of California, known as Bakersfield, wouldn't disagree. Very much so. Uh, I, I like people approving of the podcast music that I haven't changed uh, in a year now. That's right. It's perfect, though. It's like a, it's like an Italian grandmother dressing up as a clown and just kind of like cackling to herself. <laughs> the world is on fire. But in Italian, which is kind of how I feel. Um, have I mentioned my name is Francesca? Yeah, hi. This is this is the Bituation Room Podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Uh, thank you so much uh, for all of your reviews. Give us a five-star review if you're listening to this. Um, and uh, in, in that spirit, I, a few episodes back, we asked our listeners to uh, give us a five-star review and also add a quote since we had a, a, a very um, uh, uppity capitalist write us a review who was very incensed by the fact that we um, were speaking about democratizing the economy and making sure everyone had health care. Um, and now we have another review from Cyber Guthics who says Einstein approves and quotes Einstein. In the monthly review of 1949, since the real purpose of socialism is precisely to overcome and advance beyond the predatory phase of human development, economic science in its present state can throw little light on the socialist society of the future. Um, for those of you who don't abla Einstein, um, that means that like the current economic system is like not good. So, yeah, that's that. Um, every episode we donate your tips, your super generous tips that helped this show stay alive and afloat to a different organization, a different uh, movement that we're trying to lift up. This week, it is Baji, uh, Black Alliance for Just Immigration. I know we talk a lot about uh, Latinos and the immigration and the migrant crisis and caravans, et cetera. Um, I think a lot of people don't talk about the fact that many, many, many immigrants, many of the undocumented people in this country uh, are Black. They are uh, from the Caribbean. They're from Latin America. They're from all over Africa. They're from everywhere. And uh, they often get erased. And Black Alliance for Just Immigration make sure that they don't. Um, they work specifically with Im black immigrant communities and they advocate for racial, social, and economic justice. And we will donate a portion of your tips to them if you tip us right now at TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR Live on Cash App. Thank you so much in advance. We have such a good show. Kate Willett is here. She is a comedian. She was on The Late Show, NBD. Uh... Adrian Lawrence is here. She is an author. You might have seen her on The Young Turks. Uh, she's a commentator. She wrote a book, a playbook of how to avoid and basically get justice when it comes to sexual harassment in the workplace. 
ha ha harassment. Um, that's that was just me remixing my intros. Um, but before I get too far down this little rabbit holey, uh, let me bring in my co-host, my co-host, uh, labor organizer, comedian, um, the uh, effervescent esoteric, Mr. Nato Green. Hey, Francesca. <laughs> I don't know. I- I haven't heard that theme music in a while, and I really enjoy it. I loved it. It that theme music sounds <laughs> like like the theme music from an animated Guillermo del Toro horror movie that's set <laughs> in a, an abandoned department store. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I think it's just thing. Yeah, it's like toys. Yeah, like toys that, that are also toys? a little bit murderous. thank you um i love that um cheers to our listeners cheers what the hell is that dad's dad's drinking as usual dad's drinking Mm, dad's drinking if you're listening it it looks red i'm gonna go with kool-aid uh no this this is a cocktail called the 12 mile limit uh, it's got it's got a little grenadine, which is the source of the of the red. Uh, but I found it perusing the website of the the uh, the specialty alcoholic uh, syrup company that they make syrup mixers, Lieber okay, and Co. If okay, Lieber yeah. if Lieber and Co. wants to sponsor us, it's welcome. Anyway, specialty syrups. Yeah, like like you get your pineapple mm. gum syrup or your demerara mm. sugar syrup. If you want to have a syrup to enhance your cocktail situation, so. Uh, you know, specialized grenadine. So anyway, it's a mix of grenadine, whiskey, brandy, lemon juice, and rum. God damn it! Yeah, I got I got my canteen of water, Nato. Uh, um, that's we classic. are we're so excited uh, to have with us a comedian who I believe is here. You have seen her on the Late Show. Uh, she's been featured on Netflix, Comedy Central, and the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And you can listen to her leftist feminist comedy podcast, Reply Guys, or her album, Glass Gutter, which is out now. Please welcome Kate Willett. Hello. How are you guys? Hey, Kate. We're good, Kate. Uh, I mean, I think. Everyone, Kate. I think we're good. It's one of my favorite people and comedians. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to see you guys. Good to see you, You can be a person and a comedian. Yes. It'll be a good show. I'm glad we're recording ourselves. You're watching us live. Uh, I'm not. I'm not connected to the Ethernet. Uh, I am on a little vacation up the coast of California. I'm going to stop talking like that in just a second. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. So I'm. I, if look, if there are glitches, fucking donate so we can buy Ethernet cables because like everyone's out. Like, where are you going to find mm. one at this point? Yeah, there's Ethernet no more ring lights and yeast. There's no more are Ethernet. the things that are you can't find. Ethernet yeah. cables. No, I love how the pandemic, we're all realizing just how shitty, like how much we're being taken for a ride by internet companies. Yes. Like, uh, it's do you remember like at the so beginning bad. of Shelter in Place, uh Comcast announced that they were they were just gonna like let people stream faster. And it was like, oh, you could just fucking do that? Like, why don't we have that all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you uh, wanted, I mean like my but my uh, spectrum goes out like five times a day. It's so frustrating. It's awful. Well, we forgive you, Kate, and you, uh, we're happy tried, to have you here. Do you hit it? Does that help? Uh, oh, I yeah, usually unplug it, or 
I ask my boyfriend to unplug it in a manly way, you know, if I'm just feeling like performing an antiquated gender role at that moment, you know? Uh, <laughs> stern unplugging. In, yes. in, in my household, in which I am the only person who was born male, um, uh, like I'm not handy around the house. Like I'm not, I'm, I don't have those no. typical man skills. I know that's shocking, but for whatever reason, like troubleshooting internet problems is the is the is the thing. Troubleshooting internet problems and dealing with dead bugs are like the gender man things that I'm still have to do. Yeah, I I used to the dead bugs cry uh, when there was a dead bug, uh, but now I just <laughs> now I just uh, show it to my cats and then they take care of it. Uh, they're like my little, uh, you know, they're like my. Uh, What's that like in a mob movie where there's the guy that like uh, beats everyone up? Like my cats are the muscle when it comes to me and bugs. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I just yeah, yeah. show them and then walk in the other room, and I'm like, I trust you to take care of this. You know, <laughs> you know what to do with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you know, there's going to be another hour of torture, right? Because cats, yeah, that's very true. Cats are mafia muscle. They're like, yeah. oh no, 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 it can't die yet. Yeah, it's got to tell us everything it knows. Yes. Um, what did you tell well, the welcome, feds? Kate. It, <laughs> uh, we so we start off every episode uh, beyond talking about our kitty cats uh, with a segment called "What Are You Bitching About," um, which I know is hard as comics to sort of come up with things that like annoy us. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you first off, what are you bitching about in this week one hundred and fifty-six of quarantine or whatever we are? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been thinking a lot recently about uh, evictions in New York. Um, we there was like in the past couple of weeks, they had some kind of rental assistance, but it was very means tested, and it was very um, like it's just it's to a, a super limited number of people. I think LA is the same thing, where it's just like only open for a really short period of time, and there are so many New York renters that didn't pay rent, um, at least for some portion of the pandemic or people whose roommates moved out uh, because like a lot of people in New York like live with a ton of other people because it's expensive here and just people sort of fled the city in mass. So even folks who didn't get laid off from their jobs, like may have had roommates who did or, you know, all of a sudden been responsible for the rent on a way bigger place. So it ended up being like a quarter or a third of the city uh, didn't pay full rent sometime between now and the start of the pandemic. Some people uh, in Damn. a much more behind situation than that. And uh, now like evictions are starting again. And I don't know, I mean, like I'm, I'm fortunate to not be in this situation, but it's only because my landlord was cool. Like my my roommates both left at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, I can't really find two more people right now. And he was like, I get it, you know? But uh, this would be like, I don't know, this is just gonna be like such a, a terrible situation if they don't do something about this. And Cuomo has uh, pretty much resisted doing anything about this that every, step of the way uh so it's really frustrating absolutely that's what i'm bitching about just i looming, wonder where looming mass evictions is all yeah it's a it's a really frustrating situation because one of the first things they did in new york was give uh, assistance to uh, owners so they they waived mortgage payments but nothing for renters so it's like 
there could be people in situations where, you know, their landlord wasn't even having to pay, uh, you know, mortgage on their building, but they were still having to pay their landlord rent. So, yeah. I think here in LA, there's like a new, there's a little bit of relief. There's like a new system. It was open for a week this week, this past week. Um, But it was by lottery. I was like, yeah. here, sign sign up here, and then we'll put your name into this, you know, this giant, like, air ball situation, and we'll pull, and, like, some girl in a sequin dress will pull it out, which I really hope they did that, because it feels just very Hunger Games. Um, that's just on brand. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's like the, the I, I don't know if, it, I don't think in New York it's a, a lottery. I think it's, like, there's, like, a means-tested thing where they're giving it to the people that are, you know, on paper, uh, in the worst situations or whatever, but I like, you know, the, the LA thing, it's very LA, you know, it's kind of like make it into some sort of entertainment experience for people. Yeah. yeah. We'll make a game show out of it. Exactly. Like the student loan game show that, that was a thing. Remember that? Yeah. I think that's still on. Oh my God. That's well, I don't know. I guess whatever you got to do to pay your student loans. So in California, there was in some places, there was this thing where they were like, and we're, we're going to do, you know, an eviction, like, it was like we're going to do an eviction moratorium and m- like m- forbearance and everyone was like cool 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 what is forbearance um, <laughs> you know <laughs> and then we were all like googling like, like, i don't have any forbearance yeah to claim me is that a, I, like a dependent yeah. right i have <laughs> two parents is that like four parents but <laughs> half like <laughs> Uh, that's a good bitch, Kate. Very good. Um, NATO, what are you bitching about? Um, oh, dude. Uh, I guess, uh, this week I'm bitching about, uh, parenting, like up until the minute that we went live, I was fighting with one of my kids and before I had children, you wouldn't have thought of me as someone with a short temper. And, uh, you all, Kate, Francesca, we spent a lot of time together. We've hung out a lot. You've seen my emotional range and normally it's pretty limited. Um, <laughs> very limited. And, uh, and yet, um, like the thing about your kids is that your children are like, like a perfectly calibrated, uh, device to remind you of everything that you hate about yourself. Um, and that you av- avoid thinking about. <laughs> um, and so like, like nobody, nobody makes me like fly into a rage at a moment's notice, like my children. Um, and you're like, that's exactly what I would have done. That's my move. Yeah. Like, is that who, annoying? Yeah. Who taught you to be such an asshole? Oh, I did. Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 You know? Um, so, uh, that's that's what that's what I'm bitching about is my inability to master my own anger as a parent. Mm. Word. Uh, this is a good one. I th- that's a lot of self reflection, Nato. Very early on in the show, commending Sorry. you for that. Thanks, thanks. I'm trying. I'm trying to to. Uh, I last night. Last night I watched uh, "Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood," the the movie where Tom Hanks plays Mister Rogers. Um. And so, and it like, and Tom Hanks spends the whole You're movie. You're like, oh, I'm so far from a father figure. Tom Hanks spends the whole whole movie as Mr. Rogers talking about how we need to like make room for our feelings. So, uh, and accept people as they are. So I'm really like, I took it, I'm trying to take it to heart. 
dude, Mr. Rogers reminds me that like, like when you watch it now and it's, and all kids programs are a little bit like this, but you're like, you feel high because he's so present yeah, and he's so in his feet. He's so in his feelings. He's so in his moment and everything moves way too slow, but like perfect speed. So I was like, is that just a memory that it moves slow? And then you watch it now and you're like, oh no, no, no. She was like, Anyway, the point is, is that I was high up until the point when I was actually high as a child. Feel me? Sure. It's it changed <laughs> though, because like I like I you know we didn't in my day like we didn't have cable or whatever, so we watched Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street and the Electric Company, and that's it. And so and now like the spinoff show of Mr. Rogers is Daniel Tiger, which is like in the Mr. Rogers cinematic universe, um, but animated. And like, but the new kid generation of kids shows have positive messages, but they're like so much more like stimulating and like lots of stuff happening and sound effects and stuff going fast and whatever. And like just the level of calm that he projected uh, and like yes. basic kindness. Like I will 100% cry every time I hear Mr. Rogers voice at this point. I agreed. I made the mistake of watching that on the plane. <laughs> um it's a ugly crying on the so plane. bad so yeah. remember planes uh, uh god uh what am i okay so i'm bitching about a few things someone in the comments todd is saying that he's bitching about kanye west and i will let you know we're gonna talk about kanye later in the show because we had to uh so we're pivoting we're pivoting we're talking about kanye later um that's definitely something i'm bitching about but okay two real quick things one for the first time today, I wore jeans and ate a lunch, and I never want to do that again. And I think, fuck, like, no. If we emerge from this pandemic with anything, it's Medicare for all and never wearing jeans again. Like, but especially during meals, like never go out. Like, it was just so... It was so upsetting. It was so upsetting to me after so many sweatpants, after so many like, these are kind of like sweatpants and then wearing tight jeans and eating lunch. Um, I was mad. I was mad, you guys. And it wasn't, I was in public. It was outdoors. It was fine. But I couldn't immediately unbutton my jeans and that was a problem. So oh, let's leave all the tight like, jeans behind. I was really, I was like trying try to figure out what your, the problem is that your pants are too tight. I thought I I was like yeah, man. I was like are generally pretty tight for women they're pretty tight unless you're like really leaning into the norm core phase which is fine I just don't I'm not sure I can pull that off the like look, full balloon Come on full balloon a, a scowl, I don't know Kate how, where, where do you stand on that Uh I don't really wear pants I am like a dress only person I think partially specifically for that reason I really I like to be able to just breathe you know like just uh just keep it all pretty loose, airy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I definitely couldn't see myself wearing jeans in quarantine. That seems like a type of punishment that I would not uh, inflict on myself. I wanted I, to preserve some sort of semblance of not being in quarantine. And it was, uh, no, I've, I've made a mistake. Francesca, <laughs> I thought you were making like a, like a, like a hard, like anti-jeans pro slacks argument. And I was like, yeah, we really wouldn't oh, have seen, seen it coming that Francesca was so enthusiastic about Dockers or whatever. Yeah, no, strictly khakis uh, and new balances and tiki torches. Of course not. No. Um, the other thing I'll say is really quickly, 
Kate has a podcast called Reply Guys, and uh, I am bitching also about uh, Reply Guys in my Instagram who like to fight one another in some sort of duel of who is has better IG comment politics, but really they're not actually talking about anything. They're like, well, I thought you were saying that. And like, no, well, you made it seem like, well, okay then. Well, fine. Well, have a good day. Or like, you know, it's like, I don't think that's what she meant. It's like, shut up. This is for pictures. IG is for pictures. Let's just go. Go take that shit to Facebook. Twitter even. Am yeah. I wrong? No, I think, I mean, I think, you know, for political debates, depends. If you want to have them with someone real dumb, go on Facebook. If you want to engage, you know, at least have the possibility of engaging with someone who might be interesting. Twitter's a good place for that, you know. Can I have the, or you can also... On Twitter, here's a cool thing. Sometimes, especially if you have a blue check, not to be an elitist, people will reply. And so if you want to uh, give someone a hard time for the sake of justice, like, for example, I did this the other day. Neera Tandon was tweeting about how, oh. I think, what did always, she say exactly? Yeah, Neera was saying that, uh, you know, it's good that the blue states got the pandemic first because the red spades states would have done a worse job. And I can't remember. It was like even a little bit worse than that, but I was just like, you know, I live in New York and a lot of people died here or whatever. And then she replied to me and I was like, I feel good about my, uh, my ability to, to get under the skin of, of near you know, just a little bit. I, that, but that's what the reply guy spirit is all about. I think. Yeah. Hell yeah. I like this reply guy etiquette. All right, you guys, let's move into our next segment, which is the week where we look back on this week um, through our very special little lens. Uh, this is, God, it's Sunday, July 19th. Again, if you're from the future and listening on a podcast, that's totally fine. Give us five stars. Um, let, let's get more, into more it. More bad if you... things will, will have happened by the time you're listening. Don't worry. Oh, very much so. Don't you worry. You're putting a little hot about it. We'll talk about it next week. Um, this is the week where federal troops have been lifting protesters off the street in Portland as part of Trump's supposed defense of Confederate statues. Turns out Trump is very pro BLM. Uh, bronze lives matter. And I just want to say for everyone who thought he was going to be an isolationist, uh, and not send America into Syria. Uh, Trump did one better. He brought Syria to America. So <laughs> there you have it. Jokes on you. But also the savings are incredible. Amazing. You just bring the war home. Uh, look, Francesca, Kate, we've had some yeah. laughs and good times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to give you an insight into my upbringing, um, there's a children's book that was a favorite in my house based on a Yiddish folktale by Sholem Aleichem. And the book was called It Could Always Be Worse. Um, <laughs> that's how I was raised. And that's what the Trump administration reminds me of. Uh, like, you know, just the last four years. It's been, at least they haven't completely shredded the Constitution yet. Uh, oh, they oh they did? Okay. Well, at least they're oh, not they round, <laughs> rounding up children and putting them in cages. Oh, oh, they did? All right, cool, cool, cool. Well, Francesca... Uh, like like you, I think we both spent a fair amount of time in Latin America uh, where there are actual death squads. And so like a few months ago, people were like, the United States has hit rock bottom. And I kept saying, no, it has not. 
Uh, the United States has not hit rock bottom until there are actual CIA trained paramilitaries disappearing people in the streets. Oh, okay. Now, now, now that's happening. Cool, cool, cool. So, uh, and now the bar gets even lower. And so now, because I'm like, now I'm thinking, well, at least they're not committing mass executions in soccer stadiums and chucking dissidents out of airplanes. That's my new bar of how bad. <laughs> uh, so the, the, they, go ahead. I was going to say, the only reason we don't have that is because of COVID. We can't have soccer games. Right. Otherwise, believe yeah. you me. And Americans yeah, don't even know where the soccer distance. stadiums are. Yeah. Um, and so the pretext for the federal invasion of, of Portland and disappearing people and kidnapping people off the streets was violent anarchists. That's what they kept saying. The feds kept saying, they need to, they, we need to about violent anarchists. But they didn't even know anarchists. Because if they did, they'd know that the most violent thing that actual anarchists do is uh, they love long meetings and building giant puppets. Yeah, plus uh, also, I feel like one thing about this story is it's Portland. And so not only is this anarchists, these are Portland anarchists. These are, you know, the, the most vegan people in all of Portland, essentially. And uh, yeah, yeah. Processing well, the most fighting lot. they've done is over like a, a chore wheel uh, in their collective house yeah. or like who gets the sesame sticks when they're dumpster diving. Yes, exactly. I lot, lots of, uh, lots of polyamory going on. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> oh God. So much yeah. processing. Yes. But, uh, but the weird thing about they, Portland is that like, is that it's, uh, that like the Portlandia Portland that lives in our minds is, is like two square miles in the city. So yeah. like you can be like in the heart of, of, the you know the polyamorous vegan co-op and then you go seven blocks east and you're at a literal clan meeting like it's such a it's like right <laughs> there um that's so, so true about the northwest generally and then like and you then, can apply that to seattle and shit too according to homeland security secretary chad wolf which is the most white guy trying to be tough name of all time uh right after mr bentley hand grenade um the violence and destruction <laughs> chad wolf uh, that warranted the federal invasion of Portland was graffiti uh, on federal buildings. They invaded a city over graffiti and ad abducted people on the streets. Bit of a, an overreaction, if you ask me. But as they say, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs and also beheading all the chickens in the world. Uh, can I just say my favorite line from that uh, press release from Chad Wolf? Chad Wolf. Uh, is one of the he says among a group of of over 400 protesters marching in front of the pioneer courthouse violent anarchists attempted to cause eye damage to officers with commercial grade lasers <laughs> like what, what do you, you mean you mean like they flash like a, a cat toy in your face like a little yeah like a late you mean you mean they did what like a seventh grader does <laughs> In 96, whenever the fuck laser pointers were invented, oh, eye damage. Oh, my God. Commercial yeah. grade. Violent. Yeah, commercial grade. You, you haven't seen these lasers. <laughs> this week was the week where the White House instructed hospitals to send data gathered about coronavirus to the Health and Human Services Department instead of the CDC in what many see as an effort to cook the COVID books. Uh, the tracking will now be done by a private data company and every case will now be logged as an Iowa primary vote for Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Brilliant. 
<laughs> I uh, so I did some googling. Ooh. Be careful about a about a a a, a man with no too much time on his hands and the internet. So they they awarded the contract for tracking the COVID data to a private Pennsylvania-based company for $10 million. They got a no-bid contract for the work. The company's called Teletracking. So I asked myself, what is Teletracking and what do they do? And why are they better at this than the CDC who have decades of expertise tracking pandemics? Well, as a matter of fact, Francesca, Kate, the CEO of Teletracking is a realtor named wow. Michael Zamigius, and according to his company bio, owns a fast, casual, wood-fire pizza and sandwich concept in downtown Pittsburgh. It's a concept. It's not a re restaurant. It's a concept. Are the sandwiches wood-fired? I don't know. Anyway, let's put that guy in charge of knowing how many people are in the ICU at a given time. Oh, you need a <laughs> ventilator due to your COVID? How about our signature spicy buffalo chicken pizza pie? Uh, it gets worse. This guy, uh, the fast casual wood fired pizza company guy, the that the pizza company who's in charge of online data tracking of the COVID pandemic, the website for the pizza company is off. No funciona. Oh my gosh. So uh, what's amazing to me is not just that the Trump administration wants to politicize data or they want to use it as a grift for private contractors, but it is as if they went on Alta Vista and searched who were the dumbest private contractors in the universe and then gave a no-bid contract to those people. Yeah. this It's very Kramer. Like, it's very Seinfeld. Like, I got a new job. You know, I'm not doing the pizzas, the Sam Sammy pizzas anymore. I'm doing this COVID tracking, right? Like, it's it's there. It's that level. Uh. All right, I'm going to I'm going to keep going. Carry on. Kate, feel Sorry. free to jump in. We've we have premeditated this ah, mediocrity. Gotcha. All right, all right, all right. Um this was the week where Ruth Bader Ginsburg revealed that her cancer is back this time in the liver. Uh this is the fifth time Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been battling cancer, which means at this point her cancer is just trolling conservatives. Like yeah. that's all it's doing like I Cure it again. Da, 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 carrot juice, motherfucker. Like, honestly, have, what is what are we what are we doing? I had the most insensitive thought when I saw that. Like my <laughs> reflexive thing that I thought was, "Wow, she has cancer a lot." <laughs> and then I was like, "Well, you know, <laughs> not really her fault, but it's like maybe she's got like she a keep, problem." Yeah, she keeps like getting that. Um, no, but I I definitely hope she's okay. Uh, it's. I don't know. It's a little annoying to me the way that people talk about, uh, like, the Supreme Court. Like, you know, I'm just thinking, like, kind of as a small example around, like, you know, abortion. Like, we'll be like, okay, you know, like, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't on the court anymore, there will be some states where people can't get an abortion. And you'll only be able to get an abortion if you have enough money to travel. I'm like, it's already like that for a lot of people, you know? So I definitely think it would be like, I mean, I hate Kavanaugh, I hate Gorsuch, but I also think that like some of the nightmare reality that people envision like is, is actually here already, you know? Um, With or without RBG you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I'm not like, this isn't an argument for conservative justices. I just mean like, I think that like people kind of, 
I don't know. People are just underestimating like what few protections you have um, in this country. If you are not a person of means or, you know, a, a white person, you know, it's like, if you're, I don't know, like, you know, you can be legally allowed to vote, but that doesn't mean that like, you know, people are not going to, you know, states aren't going to like fuck with you and shut down your polling places. And it's just, just, I don't right. know. Yeah. On, so you're, on paper, so you're it's pro there, cancer, but in practice. Okay. I'm not pro cancer. I'm not pro cancer, but I'm like a little bit. <laughs> there's something about like the extreme RBG worship that makes me feel a little bit weird sometimes. Even though I really, really want her to be okay, like the idea that everything is hinging on one person feels like a little bit like not how uh, our society. That's why we got to keep adding them. Add. Yeah. Adam, just keep yeah. stacking them up more more supreme court justices but no i, I feel you pack um, the courts i'm gonna get canceled i am a white woman that said i think that we're putting too much focus on rbg you know i have a, an rbg candle in my living room i'm doing doing what i should be doing but you know look what what's the old quote uh never underestimate the power of a jewish grandma to change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has um, <laughs> Uh, RBG is an 87 year old widow who's been through four battles of cancer, which I guess battle is the unit of cancer. Like how much cancer is. Oh my God. So, uh, but lib like liberals, I agree with you, Kay. Liberals go crazy about her. Like they want, she's 87 and they want her to stay working full time on the Supreme court for another six months to four years. At this point it's bordering on elder abuse. Yeah, like, I agree. <laughs> we need to protect Social Security. Get back in the mines, Ruthie. No crosswords for you until we overturn Citizens United. Like, it's very, like, let her just go and be old. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I kind of think that she should That's what happens when you get too comfortable about Clinton winning. Yeah, well, I mean, she could have also retired in the retire. Obama administration. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we definitely don't deserve this punishment. You know, we don't deserve Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and maybe someone else. No. Uh, but yeah, she she done could have retired. But that being said, I stand very hard RBG, and I don't think it has to be just a liberal thing. I just think that liberals have uh, a slimmer amount of heroes. I mean, you know what I mean, like uh, moderates. Uh, but but I think we can hold her up. You know, <laughs> even still, I, I stand. I'm there. Um, I'm moving on as well because uh, we got a couple more news pieces to get through. Uh, this was the week where, if you guys didn't catch it, Donald Trump's niece, Mary Trump, released a book that sold nearly a million copies on the first day. Uh, among the things that it revealed was that Trump's father was emotionally abusive and his mother was absent. And that just makes me, you know, I just want to like hug Donald, you know, like like Robin Williams hugged Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting and say, it is your fault. It is your fault. It is your fault. It's definitely your fault. I would really have to have a pretty extreme case of COVID to want to hug that man. <laughs> <laughs> to want, oh yeah, no. I mean, obviously yeah. I would put like, because in COVID I'd be like, no, I have to wear this hazmat suit to like treat you properly. Um, yeah, uh, there was so many other good revelations in that. But I will say, uh, one being like, he's he's used the N-word, like, of course. And then the headlines yeah. are like, he's used the N-word. And he's, he's also cheated us out of millions of dollars of taxes. But the N-word, like, we knew that. Um, 
but uh, he also is a serial regifter. That was a good one. Um, he once gifted her like a a a pack like a gift basket that where the caviar had been taken out. <laughs> Sam, you got to appreciate the tactlessness. There's something there. Like he's so he's such a brute, a bruto. You know, NATO. Maybe if I do more hand gestures, you'll get it. Um, I get it. It's good. You got it. I like it when you get when you kick 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 into your Italian side. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's my Argentine side that I don't have. Uh, it's it's your it's your third half. Um, uh, I feel sorry for like who are the you know like what kind of person was this book the last straw? Like after yeah. everything, where they are like what? He also said the N word. You know, like after everything else that's it yeah i mean it's also like i well because i feel like i know who this book is for and the person that i'm imagining is like there's a certain type of person that just like likes to read about trump so much and be really 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 upset about him specifically not even you know the systemic problems at all but just uh i just don't know like like to me, it's amazing that there are people that still have uh, the emotional bandwidth for that. Like with everything that's going on, just like I want to still be upset about the specific details of Trump's biography uh, in my quarantine. <laughs> you know, I'm like I'm I'm yeah. trying to get a uh, into sourdough over here. But you know? there's a bit of palace intrigue. There's a bit of palace intrigue that I like about this book that other books haven't had. They're just like, oh, we've witnessed it. But I do want to hear about, like, you know, the one gold shoe that he gave Mary Trump full of candy that was clearly, like, a party favor that he regifted. Like, that to me is, like, there's a little bit of, like, that is a little bit of candy with the, in addition to, you know, he's a massive piece of shit and he put children in cages and, you know, he's tearing up the Constitution, et cetera. So, like, there's, I'm almost like, there's, like, I feel like we deserve a little bit of that intrigue, uh, the douchebag intrigue. Yeah, I could see that. Finally, this was the week where legendary civil rights activist and Georgia Congressman John Lewis passed away at the age of 80. He was one of the original freedom riders to challenge segregation in the South. He survived Bloody Sunday in Selma, helped found the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Commission uh, Committee, and even led a sit-in on the House floor for gun control in 2016, if you guys remember that. Um, in unrelated news, Dick Cheney uh, is still alive. <sighs> still. No heart. He literally, no heart still alive has no physically hard that's a that's very real there's nothing left in in the cavern of his is behind the ribs except for a few bats with like little eye masks on like oh me you're know, like there's nothing there he's still alive i just want to let you guys know that. It's, it's really wow. really sad very sad, uh, but RIP. And also, uh, I have every ounce of faith that this new civil rights movement will birth many and is birthing many, many new John Lewises uh, to carry that torch. Um, even though he talks shit about Bernie Sanders, let's let it go, people. As, let it go. as soon as he died, my first question obviously was, What will we do without him? But my second question was, who will be the first fuckhead to post a picture of Elijah Cummings with the tribute to John Lewis? And the answer uh, was Elijah Cummings was the uh, Maryland congressman who died last year. 
Uh, and the answer is that it was a tie between uh, Alaska Senator Republican Dan Sullivan and Florida Senator Marco Rubio. So uh, if you want to know. in Congress. Like, this is what I do. You're in Congress. He's your colleague. Right. What the fuck is wrong with you? If you, you know what I mean? they, they like, can't. Yeah, if, it's not like the fuck is wrong? like yeah. If it's a random person, I'm like okay, whatever. But like, good God, like <laughs> it's it is true that you know like like I have been mistaken for Paul Rudd by someone on the street from like across the street <laughs> at night is in it? the rain from far away. That's true. That's a thing that's <laughs> happened. But it was like like you know, uh, like blurry and far away. Uh, but. Like not by people that I actually worked with, uh, like from my own office on a day-to-day basis. You know what I mean? That's like, that's cold. I love how your six degrees of separation is just one time I was mistaken for Paul Rudd in the rain. Yeah, I've been mistaken for Paul Rudd, <laughs> Mike Birbiglia, and Louis Katz. So uh, those are all good. That's what I'm working those, with. Those are those are pretty good. Um, Kate Willett, thank you so much for joining us Thanks here for, for this segment. Me. Yay, we so appreciate it. Can you just, uh, well, first of all, everyone, follow Kate Willett on Twitter, at Kate Willett. Check out her special, uh, The Glass Gutter. How can people watch that? Uh, or well, listen I to was, it, your album? I, I, it's on, my album's on Spotify. I have a special on Netflix uh, in the comedy lineup, so if you just search for me in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, and if you want to check out my podcast, it's on all the podcast places. Uh, and, uh, yeah, next, actually tomorrow we're talking to, um, Ken Klippenstein who, uh, broke the story that, um, CPB, uh, was behind the, uh, Portland, uh, disappearances. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to him about his piece for the nation. Um, and that'll be coming out oh, yeah. this Wednesday. That's excellent. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Listen to that reply guys. Thank you so much, Kate. Now I want to bring in our next guest. we got to get right to this. I'm so excited to have her here. Uh, she's an attorney and author of Staying in the Game, the playbook for beating workplace sexual harassment. Straight up. Um, she's an award-winning on-air commentator and gender equity advocate. Uh, Ten years in criminology, background in criminology, uh, background in educating workplace uh, employees. And she is the host uh, as the host of an informative and impactful workplace sexual or harassment, retaliation, and inclusivity training programs. Straight up. She is a mercenary for this shit in a good way. <laughs> Please welcome to the Bituation Room, Adrian Lawrence. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Adrian, uh, I'm sorry that we've... Uh, for those of you who don't know Adrian's book, you should because it's amazing. It is... Uh, it's like a manual. It's basically like a, everyone should have it. You should have it on your coffee table. You should have it in your bathroom. Um, you should have it where your is it a table manual? of coffee is. A woman manual. It's a woman. Manual. I'm sorry. I'll see. I'll see myself out. <laughs> please. Very please. nice. No, it's very much a how to, and I appreciate that. And actually what I feel when I read this book, Adrian, is that, you're like a girlfriend and you're telling me what you think I should do. And you're giving me all these scenarios and you're helping me like map out my plan. If I've uh, experienced sexual harassment and you're building me up and it's just like, it's all the things. 
and I love it. And I want to know, sorry, first of all, why you wrote it. Why why'd you undertake this particular book about sexual harassment and getting through it? Because uh, there's nothing out there like it. Um, you know, it's like I've been through it at workplaces and despite being a lawyer and being extremely educated, it's scary as hell because you know this could mess up my money. Like this could mess up my entire career mm. path if I don't handle this person the right way. And so when I went looking for it, everything out there is, you know, these um, kind of just either legal reference manuals or these memoirs. And that's not, that's just not what I need. I need some stuff that's research back, that's also real authentic and just gets to it. So I went ahead and wrote it. Yeah, absolutely. You don't waste any time being like, is sexual harassment a problem? Um, here's why. And here's why. Why do harassers harass? It's very much like, no, no, no. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. And and I think that that's something hard to admit um, because a lot of people are like, well, we have to stop the sexual harassment. But your book is basically like, no, it's going to happen. Yeah. And this is how you can. It's almost like a self-defense training for it. Exactly. Yeah. Cause the reality is it's like, it happens to everyone. It's just some people it doesn't threaten um, because they're in a position of power, whether it's societal power because of their gender or maybe their position, but it's going to happen. Uh, it's essentially just bullying, you know, someone bullying you because of your gender and not wanting you there because maybe you don't fit their norms of how you should look or how you should act. Or maybe they think you're threatening because you know, you're awesome. You just happen to be of a different gender or race, but Hey, it's it's gonna happen and it happens all the time. Right. And and you yourself have not only like been sexually harassed in different workplaces, but also have successfully sued ESPN in particular, kind of uh, I think as you called it, like the beast, like slaying the beast kind of thing. Um Obviously, ESPN sports, we sort of we imagine that there's a lot of sexual harassment, but I think we also imagine that a lot of that is sort of supposed to come with the territory. Right. But now we're in this new era and folks like yourself were successfully suing and winning and then trying to equip other people. Um, What did you learn from that whole experience And, and how had your prior experiences equipped you for that, for what happened there? Um, well, I had always worked in predominantly male dominated areas. Uh, I put myself through undergrad working at a car dealership and then major law firms after that. Um, but I did not find the environment to be as insidious as it was uh, in sports broadcast, but also sports broadcast is um, predominantly white and male and sexual harassment is about power and keeping you out of positions of power, uh, oftentimes based on your gender, how you portray yourself and also your race. So um, it was an experience. It it taught me a lot about things that I knew I experienced and validated that um, because the book is heavily researched. It just, I didn't want it to sound researchy. I want it to sound, you know, just authentic and like, I'm just talking to you. So, um, but yeah, a lot of Harvard Business Review, a lot of information that I'd be like, oh, that's why I experienced that. Oh, that's why that happened. And so when you have a lot of stats and studies behind essentially saying, yeah, that's really normal, uh, it feels really good. <laughs> can, I, can I ask, like, the, the, the sort of, the, I, maybe I'm, I, I feel like the mainstream way that people talk about sexual harassment is like as a bad thing that is sad that happens to certain people. But you just said something that seemed super profound to me that like, it's a way of keeping women out of positions of power. And can you can you sort of expound more on like the relationship between sexual harassment and the gender wage gap and the glass ceiling? 
Oh yeah, they're all very much intersected. It's a way, um, cause you know, in society, whoever is on top is the one that gets to control what the culture looks like, what we do, everything in terms of how we act and the norms and whatnot. And it's always generally been white males. So as our society- Not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> so as our societies continue to progress, um, you know, they've given up a little power to women. And as a result of that, you'll see there's significant pushback from men in one of the places that is like the hugest for power, which is the workplace, because work is generally money and that gives you economic independence. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of paying women less, it perpetuates um, to continue these norms of keeping women economically independent upon men. Uh, and then we'll have sexual harassment occur. It, it, you're not sexually harassed on what you look like. You're sexually harassed if you have male dominant traits as a woman, uh, which means you know, you're independent, you're dominant and you're assertive. And I happen to have all of those traits. So it does not matter what I look like or what I dress like or how I carry myself. But as long as I essentially exude that energy, um, you, know, you have these feral cats pissing at me all the time. So it, it kind of... It's, it's a very special place to be, but they're responding that way because they're insecure. And so when you can understand what's going on um, and why you're getting sexually harassed, which comes in the form of put downs and come ons, then you're better able to handle it, to keep your job, your economic independence and to stay dope and mentally healthy. And it's good. Dude, it's like, but I feel like you say the things that everyone is afraid to say because you're basically admitting exactly you're like this is they're going to be harassers and in the book you identify literally identify like four or five different types of harassers then you identify four or five different types of enablers um whether they be men or women but generally it's sort of women who you might confide in um women who will tell you that or people enablers who will even help with the um like the setup i.e like weinstein's you know uh assistance um, or people would tell you to just, you know, shut up. That's the way it is. Hey, this is the way the world works. Um, and so it's so specific. It's it, you also identify how to uh, how to see if a workplace is going to be a place where they allow harassment or not. Why is the current framework around like HR and around the le- around legality as a lawyer, as an attorney, like? Why is that insufficient? Why did you need all of this to help all of that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So the book, um, I separate it into two issues because the reality is that uh, sexual harassment is rarely a legal issue. Like um, some 5 million employees minimum are sexually harassed a year in the United States. Less than 1% ever even file a complaint with the EEOC. That's the government agency that oversees complaints. So less than 1%. So few times does it actually ever end up in a legal arena. So we want to put the legal stuff aside and focus just on the sociological behavioral aspects of the interactions. Because the reality is also the law is not set up to help you. And that's also why companies don't do a damn thing to stop it. The law is written in their favor. They'd lobby for it that way. For instance, um, there is a statutory cap on how much you can get for punitive and compensatory damages for a jury award. The limit is $300,000. That's no money. That is nothing. And so companies, eh, shoulder shrugs, they also have insurance that pays for the litigation fees. Also litigation 
all these legal costs that's tax deductible for these companies. So they have no fears about not complying with the law. So essentially that means that making sexual harassment go away would have to be more of an ethical or a business or a moral issue. And as we know, these companies have no morals and they have no ethics and they don't see the business value in it yet because they don't value a woman in the workplace and her contributions. Otherwise they pay her more and treat her better. So essentially companies are disincentivized to eliminate sexual harassment, which is why I tell people it is going to happen to you. So just be prepared, mm. just like you would be prepared to negotiate salary or anything else in the business world, because it's just part of doing business, unfortunately, until our society gets its shit together. I, I had so, a, 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 what one of my friends used to do work with, um, with men who were had been involved in domestic violence. Uh, and he and he said that there was a it was a phrase that they use in in that field uh, that was he found troubling, which was uh, that a lot of the work is is about refining our response to the in inevitable, and so like like we're, we're you know the, the the strategies are about refining our response to the inevitable, and like we have such a hard time with this issue specifically imagining what would need to change in the world to have it stop happening entirely. Do you have a like a utopian vision about what that could look like? Um, the thing is, you know, power is something that you take. It's not given to you. And so and sexual harassment is something that impacts women uh, the most in the workplace. And we need women, unfortunately, to take the power back, to step up and to call more of this stuff out, to educate themselves, to know how to navigate it so that they can stay in the game, so that they don't get pushed out of careers and off track. Because the reality is, is that the bad guy isn't gonna change and the company is on the bad guy side, if not one of the bad guys. So once we accept that, and we accept also that our worth and we don't have to take this, and we learn to fight back and to speak up, then we're gonna be a lot more powerful in taking our piece of the pie. Mm. I mean, I think that that something that really stuck with me in reading the book was that you, you know, were sexually harassed in a in a different setting, in a uh, legal setting, right, as an attorney, and that it turned you off to the whole industry. And you went and, you know, worked at a, you know, a hot L.A. restaurant for a while and just like cleared your head and did something completely different, although I'm sure no less, you know, toxic and terrible when it comes to you know, nasty harass holes, as you call them. Um, but I wanted to just read something because there's a myth out there around cancel culture. You know, some elites got together and wrote a big letter about it. Uh, they're academics. And um, there's this idea that, you know, men especially, I mean, it came around, out, you know, as a reaction to the Me Too movement that like men are losing their jobs, these poor men, these like they had great careers. Louis C.K. had a movie that was coming out and all, you know, they've lost everything. And I just wanted to read a little bit of Louis your Louis C.K. couldn't of put out his, his movie about being a child molester because of, it's so unfair. <laughs> So, so you write, while men are likely to remain in high paying jobs after their professional climb is disrupted, women are often held back, ultimately suffering long term economic injury. Uh, and you say that eight in 10 women who are sexually harassed leave their employers within two years of the initial harassment. And they're more likely than men to suffer greater financial stress in the 24 months that follow um, and then are more likely to accept lower paying jobs or avoid that whole industry together because they're afraid of further harassment. And I mean, case in point, although so many, you know, Weinstein again, and so many of the young actresses that he targeted who completely were like, this, this is Hollywood. Mm -mm. Like, bye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
one of the other things is I just want to say that you you highlight the ways that men have felt have failed upwards. Yeah. So like people who've lost their jobs, you know, for example, I think uh, someone who worked in the Bernie Sanders campaign, Robert Becker, uh, forcibly kissed someone in 2016 and then was fired. And then Marianne Williamson hired him to run her presidential campaign, failing up. Um, and then Glenn Thrush from The New York Times was suspended as White House correspondent without pay. And then he was just reassigned to a different department. Um, and then Ilal Gutentag, uh, which is an incredible name. It is, especially if you're uh, asking him around. Like, as part of me is like, well, you can, you're Googleable. You're Googleable on like the majorest level. Guten Tag, and he worked for the general manager of Uber. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he, yes, he was groping multiple employees and then he was fired, but rehired by uh, Hop Skip Drive and ZipRecruiter. I mean, these people, they, they continue to get jobs. So no one is actually getting canceled. Like, nope. Right. Um, Except so for the I women just want to point stand that up out. for themselves. Uh, they get canceled very often and very much so as the industry will box them out uh, because part of the patriarchy is this implicit rule that you do not tell the secrets, uh, the bad things that happen to you essentially. And so by rattling those cages and speaking up, you have broken a rule. And as a result, the industry will box you out, uh, which is why a lot of women remain silent. It's a form of retaliation that spreads uh, wide and far. Can, can you mm. um, describe, so uh, Adrian, I'm, I'm a hybrid comedian union organizer uh -huh. and, and in my union organizer capacity, I've, I've uh, worked with women who have been sexually harassed in the workplace. And, and I, and I, the first time I went through it, I was stunned to see like, people are always like, well, why didn't you just report it? Why didn't you just come forward when this thing happened to you? And I was working with this these young women who worked in a, in a restaurant chain in San Francisco and the number of obstacles to them reporting it just at every step of the way they had to be like re-traumatized in telling their story to some faceless government bureaucrat to convince them that it was serious and that it was real enough to get them to take them seriously. Could you describe some of the obstacles that get in the way of people coming forward? The why, like why more stuff, why it's only 1% that actually gets reported? All right. Um, it is very well known that when you stand up for yourself or report sexual harassment that your colleagues will distance themselves from you because essentially it's essentially signifying that you're about to be in trouble that you the one who's victimized is about to become the problem so not only will your colleagues abandon you but then in addition to that uh there's a fair amount of gaslighting that goes on you know are, are you sure that's what he meant are you sure he wasn't just kidding are you sure you read that right a lot of undermining of your judgment and recollection also uh, your colleagues, HR, will try to make you feel like the behavior wasn't significant and try to make you show the significance of that interaction. Well, did he touch you? I, I, I can't see how this is really something to complain about. And then, of course, there's good old fashioned retaliation, which happens in the vast majority, not, if not all instances. 75% uh, of EEOC complaints that allege sexual harassment also include retaliation. Um, so you can lose your job, be demoted, prevented from being um, promoted. And it's just, uh, you know, it's essentially you're making your life a shitstorm if you speak up, which is generally why reporting sexual harassment is the last thing that people ever do. And it has to be really bad. Mm. 
I, I just want to share, I think I've told uh, Adrian this, but I think knowing how bad your company's HR is and how ham-fisted they are is also a reason not to speak up. Like you are, you don't necessarily, you're afraid of the repercussions. I mean, if, let's say it's not something that's putting you in horrible harm, but it's just really distracting. Um, I had a situation like that where I was like, look, I can deal with it. I sort of took your route. Um, you know, not, not one of the paths that you lay out in this book, which I think um, really lays out all the different ways you can address it. And one of those is going to HR. But I was like, dude, I don't trust these these stupid like these idiots in HR to deal with this issue to mediate well. So I'm just going to talk to this person myself. And it was OK. It actually worked out. But like that's why is because you also see that your uh, supervisors are super ill equipped to deal with the nuance or the particulars of the situation. Yeah, because that's one thing that uh, is why sexual harassment is handled so poorly at companies. They treat it like a legal issue, uh, as opposed to a behavioral issue of someone just being an asshole. And so, you know, if someone right. sexual, sexually assaults someone like physically, oh no, we're in police territory. No, that's not, that's not for supervisors and managers. But if someone is essentially being a harasshole, you know, that's something your boss can handle. Your boss should be able to say, hey, leave her alone or hey, stop doing this. It's not that big a deal. But unfortunately, when companies treat it like a legal issue, it becomes you versus me and you become my opponent. And it becomes a matter of them, you know, shredding documents, engaging in all sorts of nonsense that have nothing to do with rectifying the situation or making things better as much as it has to do with them getting you up out the paint and CYAing their own asses. Um, I know there's some other questions, but before we move on, um, I wanted to ask you about like, you know, as a black woman, what are your experiences with and what are what is what's the what are the stats around how uh, gender discrimination and sexual harassment intersect with race? Um, are women of color and black women maybe in particular more likely to be targeted? Oh, absolutely. Um, because we're the lowest on the totem pole. So any climbing we have will threaten the power structure. And so uh, and also, too, being the lowest on the totem pole, there is going to be less social outcry for our victimization, as we're seeing with Breonna Taylor not being able to get justice. And I can't even recall any of the black women who've been murdered in police custody getting uh, an officer in any way even charged or convicted. But that's just on my own recollection. But we see that also play out in the workplace where black women are targeted the most for sexual harassment, they tend to get more come-ons, whereas white women tend to get more put-downs. Um, mm. And that has to do with, in part, the legacy of slavery, where white men would rape uh, black women and justify it by uh, labeling us Jezebels and this thought that we're always sexually available. And uh, so that gets played on in the workplace when men uh, come at us as black women. And research has shown that black women file three times as many sexual harassment complaints as white women. And it is damn sure not because we complain more, because if anything, we actually complain a far lot less. Um, but it's because uh, the shit is so bad for us. Um, and, but that's the reality, you know, we are on the lowest in the totem pole when it comes to race and when it comes to gender and when that intersects, uh, people who are threatened by our rise or they like to prey on the vulnerable. They do, they do love heading our way. All right. La a question from the audience. Uh, yes, star on Twitch asked Adrian, this is the last question. And you, I know you address this on your book, which you should get staying in the game. Um, but what do you do to, uh, stay emotionally and mentally stable? How do you deal with all this? Um, and, so, and also, you know, keep it together. 
Um, so research shows, uh, which I would have loved to have known before I even joined ESPN or even the workforce, but research shows that when you are educated and informed on these things and what happens and how they will happen, that your ability to handle and process sexual harassment and everything that's going on is so, so much better. It means that the mental and the psychological burden, uh, which is generally depression, anxiety, and PTSD will be minimized. And uh, for me in my own personal situation, watching the people I had considered friends and the people I had stuck my neck out for and help, watching them walk away from me and follow me on social media when my shit hit the fan, just mm. essentially just walk away. That hurt the most. Um, and had I known what the research shows that this is exactly how these people will act, I would have been mentally and emotionally prepared for that. But instead, I ended up with uh, chronic PTSD, which sucks. Uh, a lot of depression, anxiety, agoraphobia, and all sorts of things. And a lot of people don't realize how much of a, how much workplace trauma can fuck you up. And so you really, mm -hmm. really need to be prepared. Because I think that's the hardest thing about my book is that, you know, I talk about it in a super easy, relaxed type of way, because uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough subject. So I have fun with it. Uh, but the reality is, a lot of people have responded with, I'm really glad this book is out here. I loved reading it at the same time. I wish I had had it before X, Y, and Z. And so that is the hardest thing, wanting people to have this information and to know how to deal with it before it happens to them. But at the same time, to be able to convince people of the fact that, yeah, you're going to step on that landmine. It's right down that path. Few people will say, okay, let me prepare mm. in advance. Most people skip their asses on over to it and just pop, you know, so... It's all I can do right. is provide that information to them in the aftermath because they don't want to listen in advance. So no, no particular cocktail or crystal or um, yoga position or no. You gotta find uh, my book goes over no, ways in which you can, you know, try to minimize it. But it's the thing that's shown to do the most is when you know what to expect. That's a hard sell for a book, ladies and gentlemen. Right there. Uh, and a good one. <laughs> uh, Adrian, thank you so much for telling us about all that and just talking. I have so many more questions. I feel and like we could scaring the hell oh, out I'm of sure you. We'll get... I was like, so negative. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I, we have, I'm sure we'll get a lot of questions on the old YouTube. I see a few of them there. Um, so we'll feel free to take this offline. Um, but uh, I wanted to take it to the streets for our last segment. Oh, for sure. We're taking it to the streets. Anyone who disagrees with me on YouTube, I will fight personally. Are you hear, you hear that, Ben? Shapizies? Shapizoid? I'm going to call him Shapizoid for no reason. Uh, all right. We, we have one more segment. And I told you we were going to talk about Kanye. And we are. Because we have a new segment as a tradition here on the Bituation Room. We introduce a new segment every week. And this segment is called Kanye Watch. Ado, where's your corny horn? Bang, bang. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Nato's your little interstitial music sounds like a cartoon, like a cartoon, like a wagon, like you know, like a Mr. Magoo. Anyway, Kanye Watch today. Uh, Kanye West had a campaign rally in which he was wearing a security, uh, a security, a a bulletproof jacket that said security on it um, forbade anyone from clapping or applaud or, or uh, uh, audibly reacting or laughing. Um, 
I do that at my and shows. It works works like a charm. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves it. Um, and said things like, quote, everybody that has a baby gets a million dollars. Weed should be free. Uh, no more plan B when it comes to abortion, only plan A. And this choice one that I am going to play right now, or my lovely producer, Becca, will play. When Harriet Tubman, well, Harriet Tubman never actually freed the slaves. She just had the slaves go work for other white people. All right. Harriet Tubman didn't free slaves. Just a, mm-mm. There are so many gems. Uh, I wanted to get reactions from from you both and also ask a question, which is, I thought Kanye suspended his campaign this week. Did anyone else get this memo? Did I not? Was I the only one? I know. I thought he bowed out of the campaign, but um, I know Kanye. I don't know. I, I know he's bipolar and I don't know, like TMZ had said a few weeks ago that they think he's having a manic episode or that somebody in the family did. And so none of this stuff shocks me. It's just really sad in part because uh, he's said multiple times he doesn't take meds because it messes up with his creativity. And so I think that this is a manic episode. God damn it. Sorry, man. I think, uh... I think, he's, having, I think he's having a really bad manic episode. And the thing that actually concerns me, because I think it might be getting worse. Well, they have the money to have someone with him at all times, but that means you probably have to have someone with him with the children too. And it's only a matter of time. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, people are saying, you know, there's a lot of folks who are like, I think the more sympathetic line is everyone around him is clearly lying to him. And like, no one is looking out for him. No one is like telling him like, hey, dude, hey, buddy, you know, no, just stop, stop. You know, you're, you're great. You just stick the music. You're great. So there's no one. I, I think that my personal feeling about Kanye is um, I listen to him talk and I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, that's Trump. That's just Trump. Everything he's saying isn't crazy. It all makes sense. It all sounds like Trump. He gets up there. He starts praising himself, talks about Adidas, talks about how he became, um, you know, went from having $3 billion to $5 billion in 24 hours, whatever it is. I'm like, it just sounds like Trump. This is the most Trumpian thing. And if we're saying that it doesn't sound like it, I'm like, is it racist for you to feel like to say that, like, you've never heard a presidential candidate speak so bizarrely before? Like, we hear it every goddamn day, except he's in the fucking White House. You, I love it. You're you're very generous to Trump because I don't think Trump and Kanye, the way they speak, are in any way alike. Only because Kanye will come back and say, "I'm sorry, I messed up." Essentially, when he comes down from an episode, apparently it appears, and Trump is, "Oh no, that motherfucker's consistent." Like he he doesn't apologize. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, come up and come a different way. Oh no, he is consistent, which makes me think, no, you just straight psychopath. That's it. You don't care about nobody but yourself and you're psychopathic. That's nice. I, yeah. I think we can all That's agree that uh, that Trump is the better rapper though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, just kidding, just kidding. Um, uh, the I mean, there's a thing that happens with like you know, like you see Kanye as a person and there's a thing that happens with rich famous people where like, you see that that person's having a hard time. And I, like, I don't think everybody realizes that that person is a business 
Like that person is a whole bunch of other people's livelihood. And so those people have a stake in not getting what is best for that famous person. Like, because they, they can't end the gravy train. And so like, there's a, you know, uh, I mean, not, yeah, Jada, not, not, Jada and Will can't end the gravy train. Got to work it out. Not to, not to say it. that like that, uh, that this, you know, that, and so like, there's just a level of rich and famous that, you know how, like, we all have these thoughts where you're like, wouldn't it be nice if I could do something, something crazy? You know what I mean? Just some weird thought that you have like, man, I wish I could have a like water slide from my bedroom into my backyard or whatever. Just like some dumb thought that you Not have weird. At, and then Very you normal. get rich enough where you're like, I get to do all my crazy ideas. And so like someone, you know, and then no one is, yeah, no you know, one and, is and like, talk about enabling shit, Adrian, you, you know, it's like he's surrounded by enablers. Absolutely. And something also that I was thinking of. So, but what is the alternative? Cause the reality is he has sufficient means that are, his own means and his own money. So if you are going to stop him from using the, that, that money and doing what he wants to do, you're going to have to get a civil commitment, which means you need to go to court and say that he's either a threat to himself or he can't care for himself. And what does that do to the brand? Just as NATO had pointed out, there are a lot of people on that gravy train, but let's say even Kim were to do that. What does that mean for your family and how that looks? Maybe it's just better to hire security to go with him everywhere to maybe not necessarily leave him alone with the children to do all these things to manage this because they have the means for it, given the consequences of what would happen if they were to force a civil commitment and actually make him take medication. Isn't that what they did to Britney Spears? Uh, I, I know. I know they do that to Amanda Bynes. For sure. Oh God, you God, you say you guys are bringing up all these names. All the I have a lot of thoughts about these names. You got sure. Britney Spears' dad blocked her away. Amanda Bynes may or may not have been like trafficked or some sh- crap. I don't know. I'm scared. I'm like I don't know how to feel, but I will say this: the media very much takes Kanye at face value. Like the media is not like you know. Okay, well, he has a history of mental illness and he is bipolar and there was this and there was this and like maybe uh, like that would be a little more analytical and make more sense. The media is like, do we think that he can attract the black millennial vote? Uh huh. And that's what you have to ask yourself. The media, again, what are we looking at? Uh, over 70 percent white and male. Like, hey, what's what's the objective here? Like, are we going to portray this person in this light and just give him the floor when you could be giving the floor to other people of color who are doing more significant things. And so, you know, I honestly think it's on the media to do better, um, but we need to get more diversity in that arena so that we stop having these kind of conversations and he can focus on mm-hmm. getting the help he needs. God, Adrian, you're treating this with a uh, much Sorry. more grace, grace and nuance than uh, I than, than is Man, right for this we, kind of a podcast. <laughs> we, we thought we were just going to pop in and... Taught make some lighthearted jokes about how Harriet Tubman didn't do anything. Uh, I mean, I was like, you, and then you, you guys... turned it into a deep discussion about how we handle mental illness and race as a society. <laughs> Jesus, you guys, uh, what are you doing to me? I was just fine walking small children. What, but what if, okay, if you were Kanye, if you had like, like, what is the craziest idea? NATO, would it be everyone gets a water slide out of their window into the pool? I mean, the one, uh, the 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 one that has been in my head for like for that I've always sort of that I was thinking about is like oh that'd be that'd be fun, uh, 
is so um, when I was a writer for Totally Biased, Chris Rock told us a story about how when Eddie Murphy was at the peak of his fame, he would go out and he would go into clubs and he had a guy who went behind him whose job it was so that when Eddie like like could throw his scarf and his gloves and his hat and his jacket behind him and he could just throw his stuff behind him and there'd be a guy whose job it was to catch it and he wouldn't and and so that he wouldn't have to look to make sure that the person yeah. had caught his that he was he didn't yeah. have to hand his scarf to someone he could just throw it over his shoulder and there's a guy whose job it was to catch it and I was like oh that seems fun <laughs> yeah. Adrian what's your megalomaniacal uh, presidential fantasy oh gosh oh um shucks um well your, you know your Kanye if, fantasy my Kanye fantasy um, I honestly don't know. I just want November not to be really, really terrible because if so, I'm going to have to, you know, bail on the United States. I'm going to take all my money, not pay my taxes and just go somewhere and just hide out. That's it. I'm already ready. Yeah. I've looked at the laws. I can go non-extraditable country. Mm -hmm. uh, once again, too real, Adrian, too real. We bring them up. We're trying to bring them up at the end. We're trying to bring them up. Can I just... Can I can I share a very weird fantasy that I've had? Yeah. Not that kind. Um <laughs> but I am curious and I if I were king, I am curious. Obviously Medicare for all, obviously universal uh pre-K, obviously free college uh tuition, tuition free college. Um but if everyone in the world or let's say the US didn't shower for a month. Ew. Or maybe more. Hang on. And <laughs> went went and went to the top of a mountain in summertime, a snowless mountain, and shook their head ten times. Would there be enough snow to ski on? I want to find out. <laughs> so I'm serious. It's one of the weirdest, it's just the weirdest thought I've ever had. And I do want to make it a reality when I'm president. So Fiorentini 2028, 20, uh, ski on dandruff. Uh, Head and shoulders. That's all I want. No, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah. You just, anyway, we'll talk about it later. Hit me up. Let me know if you share my fantasy. And uh, Adrian, <laughs> thank you for joining us. I look in forward the to my room. report. <laughs> I Her book is staying in the game. In Cuba. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. NATO and I will be right behind you in indeed. Um, Adrian, follow everyone. Follow Adrian Lawrence on Twitter, Adrian law and uh, be well, Adrian. Thanks guys. Take care. Thanks. N NATO green. What's up? We're signing off. Before we do, let me just remind everybody to tip. Oh my God, I've told you my deepest, darkest fantasy, which is a dandruff uh, uh, bunny slope, okay? I know it's weird, but tip me for that idea. Also, we're donating to Black Alliance for Just Immigration. Baji, they do dope work. We're going to donate to them. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Becca uh, Ruther, our producer, thank you so much. Uh, podcast listeners, live streamers, we'll see you next week. Obviously, download the Whiteness album, listen to the Whiteness album. And remember, don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Defund the police. Squeeze out your sponges. Vote because John Lewis took a bat to the skull so we could all vote. And yeah, vote for Biden because the other option 
is this. Why are African-Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement in this country? And so are white people. So are white people. What a terrible question to ask. So are white people. More white people, by the way. More white people. Bye.